Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is good to be with you on day 723 as we begin a new book, the book of Daniel, and hopefully I've solved the clicking, tapping noise in the background issue. I think it was the, the cord that connects the microphone uh, to the laptop, I think. So I tested it out. It wasn't making any clicking noises during the test, so hopefully we will be good to go. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we dig into Daniel together this morning. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us as we have been going through your word chapter by chapter. We pray that you would bless our time together this morning. You would help us to see your truth as it shines through your word so brilliantly and clearly. May our minds perceive it, our hearts receive it, our lives respond to it, that we might see Jesus and that we might follow him more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little something unusual here in our reading plan in that we've gone from Old Testament to Old Testament to Old Testament. We're going to be back and forth between Isaiah and Daniel now that we've wrapped up Luke. Um, we're going to Daniel. So it'll just be a little bit of an unusual thing. We're getting ready to enter into year three. If you would like a year three reading plan on a piece of paper, you can email me and I can send you that as a PDF attachment uh, so you can print it out. Or if you go to Forest Hill Church, we'll have paper copies available there the next several Sundays. So, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths that, who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters who were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Ah, that's Daniel chapter 1. So we've come to a point in Israel's history that is, is interesting to have this laid side by side with the chapters that we're in in Isaiah. Because yesterday we started this narrative section in Isaiah where the Lord defends Jerusalem against the Assyrians. And the Rabshakeh has spoken boastfully. And we'll get back into Isaiah the next couple of days with 37 and 38. We're going to see what God does to that Assyrian army. But now in Daniel, we've jumped ahead about 120 years into the future. And what we have here is the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, comes to Jerusalem and actually does lay siege to it and does actually defeat it and does actually take some of the people of Israel capture, captive. This is not the final destruction of Jerusalem. That was 586. This is probably about 597 BC. So I said it was 120 years after Isaiah 36 and 37. It's actually 105 years after uh, what we're reading about in Isaiah so the Assyrians failed, but the Babylonians succeeded. And why is that? Why would the Assyrians fail, but the Babylonians succeed? Did the Babylonians have a better war tactic, better strategy, a more powerful army? No. The difference is that when the Assyrians came, the Lord was not yet done with his people. He was not yet ready to send them into exile. He was holding them so that they would go into exile in Babylon. This was the Lord's will. The Lord sent them. How do we know that? Well, verse 2 tells us, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. So we don't need to doubt. We don't need to wonder. God tells us, The Lord struck down the army of the Assyrians, as we'll hear about tomorrow uh, in the next thing. But then the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of the Babylonians. The Lord is sovereign over every aspect of, of the lives of his people, and he always knows what he is doing. Just one little fact, the 10 tribes of northern Israel who were taken captive by the Assyrians, 
They're known to this day as the ten lost tribes of Israel. Because the Assyrians had this practice of assimilation where they would relocate you out of your land and force you to adapt to the cultures and ways of other people, and they would then relocate other people into your land. They were trying to erase the cultural identity of the people, and that's where the Samaritans come from, and it was a very effective strategy. It was relatively short-lived, but the Lord was preserving the line of Judah, the line of kingship, because Jesus was going to come. So, even though this is releasing on Christmas Eve, and it might seem like the weirdest Christmas Eve devotional ever, it's not really planned to be that way. It's just, you know, the next day in our reading plan. But it is appropriate because it's showing us the backstory of how the Lord preserved the line of Judah so that Jesus could be born into this line by having them taken into captivity by the Babylonians instead of by the Assyrians. The other aspect of being taken into captivity by the Babylonians is that the Babylonians valued taking young, noble youths, those who came from prominent families, those who showed particular intelligence and ability, and taking them and educating them for service to the royal court or to the empire, right? Depending upon how well you did in your training, the three years of training, you would be placed at different posts throughout the empire. Well, Daniel and his friends are going to end up in the court of the king. Now, God is being good to them. God is preserving them, but God is also using them to spread his glory and his honor to the Babylonians, as we will see as we continue through Daniel. So this was all under the Lord's sovereign hand, even though if you were in Jerusalem, this would be horrible. You would think, where is the Lord? We've got this terrible king, Jehoiakim, who's totally unreliable. He's not like his dad, Josiah, at all, who was great. And now here come the Babylonians, and they've defeated us, and they've taken us captive. We thought Jerusalem would never be defeated. It wasn't defeated before when the Assyrians came. And now what's going on? So if you were in that moment, you would have been completely stressed out, overwhelmed, freaked out, distressed in agony. But now we can look at it in the book of Daniel. We can say, oh yeah, God knew exactly what he was doing. God had a plan and God was executing that plan. We need that perspective for the things in our lives that come along and we get like the people in Jerusalem would have been. Maybe not to that extreme, but we get very anxious. We get very worried. We get very upset. We get very frantic. We don't understand what's going on. God is in control. God is working things out for the glory of his own name and for the good of his people. Just as God was preserving his people through Babylonian exile and spreading the glory of his name to Babylon through the exile. The first test comes almost right away. As Daniel and his friends are given portions from the king's food and of the king's wine. And they resist assimilating. They resist eating this. Instead, they want only vegetables and water. Why? So a lot of ink's been spilled over wrestling with why exactly is it? Well, maybe some of the food they would have been given would have violated Jewish dietary laws. Maybe there were pork chops or there was roast, you know, uh, bacon or, you know, lobster or whatever. Well, Maybe, but if that was the case, they could easily discern, oh, 
that's beef, I can have that. That's pork, I'm not going to have that. That's chicken, I'll eat that. That's shellfish, I won't eat that. They could have easily discerned if it was a matter of trying to keep to the dietary laws. If you understand cultural backgrounds, I think there's a very obvious reason why they would not eat the meat or drink the wine. And that's because these are the things that would have been poured out as sacrifices to the Babylonian gods. The king's table would not have had any meat on it that had not first been offered up in sacrifice to the Babylonian gods. And also the wine that was put at the king's table, a portion of that would have been poured out as a drink offering so that the king was eating with the God. Now this is hugely important in biblical theology because the Old Testament pattern of practice was, was very similar. That sacrifices were offered up to the Lord and the priest would eat a portion of that. Sometimes the people would eat a portion of that. Drink offerings would be poured out around the altar. That way, God's people, when they came to worship, were having a meal together with God. And that may seem odd to us, but we do the same thing now when we observe the Lord's Supper. When we come to worship and we observe the Lord's Supper, we are having a meal together with Jesus, who is both the host and the feast. And so I think that's the issue. The issue is they belong to Yahweh, the, the Lord God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't belong to these Babylonian gods. And so they're not going to partake in the sacrifices that were offered up to these Babylonian gods. And in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, don't ask any questions about meat that's put in front of you, but if you know that it's been sacrificed to an idol or your host tells you it's been sacrificed to an idol, don't eat it. And don't go to the temples and participate in those feasts. It's a matter of loyalty. It's a matter of who is your God. By eating the food and drinking the wine, they were getting attached literally physically attached to the Babylonian gods by becoming dependent on the luxurious food because meat was considered a rare luxury and a delicacy and wine would not have been drunk on a regular basis necessarily either. So they want to stick with vegetables and water. Why? Because vegetables and water would not have been offered up as a sacrifice to their gods. And so some Christians have taken this and said, hey, you should start every year by doing a Daniel fast. Take 10 days and eat nothing but vegetables and water. Well, that is, look, if you want to start the new year on a healthy kick and eat only vegetables and drink only water for 10 days, fine. But I really think it's doing violence to the text, frankly, to call it a Daniel fast and to say that just as Daniel was healthier after 10 days of eating only vegetables and drinking only water, so you'll be healthier after 10 days of eating. That is not the point at all. It was the Lord who miraculously made them healthier and fitter and stronger and even fatter than the people who ate the meat. Look, number uh, verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the people who ate the king's food. So if you really want to do a Daniel's fast, you're going to end up fatter in flesh at the end of the 10 days. Is that the goal? No, of course not. So just stop calling it that. I, I really have this 
pet peeve against people who feel compelled to slap a biblical label on everything. And in so doing, they miss the point of a whole text of scripture. God protected them. Oh, and by the way, Daniel and his friends didn't just eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, when they were tested, verse 16 says, so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. They continued to eat only vegetables and drink only water. From then on, they were never going to eat the meat that was sacrificed to the false gods or the wine that was poured out to the false gods. So a Daniel's fast isn't 10 days long. Anyway, I've harped on that bit long enough. What is the real application for us? If it's not, you know, start the new year with a Daniel's fast, what is the real application to us? The real application to us is a question of loyalty. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure, what you value, what is meaningful to you, what is your money, your time, right? Those are two very practical, measurable commodities, your money and your time. Where are you putting those things? Are you investing them in eternity by tithes, offerings, sacrificial giving, God loves a cheerful giver, and commitment to worship on the Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, and beginning your day in the Word with the Lord and spending time with the Lord throughout your day by walking with Him. Is, is the Lord the Lord over your money and over your time? If He is, your heart will be more and more His. But as often as you say, well, I'm not going to tithe this week because I want to buy this new thing that would be great to have, or I'm not going to tithe this month because we want to save up for this vacation we're going on. In a very practical way, you're shifting where your treasure is and you're allowing your heart loyalty to be bent. And then it becomes, well, we'll miss church for three months because our kids are in travel sports. Ooh, did I just say that out loud? Yes, I did. We'll miss church for three months because our kids are in travel sports. That's your time. If you're going to give your time to sports on Sunday morning rather than being in worship where your treasure is, and we treasure time, there your heart will be also. I think that's the real lesson we need to learn from Daniel 1 is our treasure, our feasting, our riches, our benefits need to be with the Lord. Our loyalty, our heart loyalty needs to be with the Lord. And the Lord blessed Daniel and his friends, and they were elevated to the highest level, and they served in the king's court, and they were there throughout the rest of the Babylonian Empire. The first year of King Cyrus is when that next empire comes up, and the decree is made to send the Jews back to their homeland. So that's our lesson for today in Daniel 1. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being faithful to us. You are faithful in all your ways. You are unfailing in your loyalty to us. You gave your greatest treasure, your son, who gave everything he had, his very life on the cross for us because you wanted us as your treasure, as your inheritance. And now you call us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You call us to lay up for ourselves 
treasures in heaven, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. You call us to know that we cannot serve two masters. So have our hearts, have our minds, have our loyalty, have our love. Day by day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that is Daniel chapter 1. Nice challenging word. Hope it was an encouragement and a blessing to you. Tomorrow we'll be back in the book of Isaiah. Have a blessed day in the Lord.